on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me this week is my very special guest, Aaron, from the Generation Y podcast. Hey, Nick. Great to be on your show. Thank you for joining us. I thought, since you are our guest this week, that it would be appropriate to ask you if you have a beer that you would like to choose for the beer of the week this week. Absolutely. My favorite beer, hands down. If someone said... You'll get free beer for a year, but you can only drink this beer. It would be Deschute Obsidian Stout. How about a garage grade? It would be five caps out of five easily. Well, Deschute Brewery describes their Obsidian Stout like this. Deep, robust, and richly rewarding, this is beer to linger over. Obsidian has distinct notes of espresso, chocolate, roasted malt, and black barley with just enough hop bite to cut the sweetness. Now, for me, the reason I like it is because it's not too hoppy. It's very dark. I mean, you can't see through it. And it's perfectly balanced between the chocolate and the malt uh, and the espresso. So it's the kind of beer that I can linger over, as they say, or I can just drink it regular. I can just, I can down a couple pretty quick. So it seems like a beer that fits pretty much any occasion. Thank you, Aaron. And this week's beer is brought to us by all of you good listeners out there. First up, we have Amy from Columbus. Next, a shout out to Valerie L. from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And we have Jessica and her friend Mallory Forza Young in Portland, Oregon. And last but not least, we have Robin in Kirkwood, Missouri. So thanks to everybody for going to TrueCrimeGarage.com and helping out with this week's beer fund. If you want to help us out with next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
Randy and Deborah Sandstrom lived together for about 20 years at their home on South River Road, about two miles out in the country beyond the Delaware County Fairgrounds in Walton, New York. Walton is a small town, population of a little over 3,000 people. Deborah was born on January 4th, 1965. She and her siblings grew up in Walton, and she graduated from high school there in 1984. Randy was from Roscoe, and he was one of three children of farmers. Randy joined the Army in 1981 after high school and served two years. Afterward, he operated a small engine repair shop. The Sundstroms did not have children together, but before they got together back in 1989, Randy had a child with his girlfriend at the time. His daughter's name is Mindy. Randy and his girlfriend, the child's mother, didn't stay together. And unfortunately, Randy left when his daughter was just about two years old, moving about 30 miles away. Now, Randy failed to maintain a relationship with his daughter he would send cards, money, and sometimes a gift for birthdays or Christmas, but he did not see his daughter after he left. Yeah, and Mindy has talked about this since, saying that she thought maybe, well, at least from what she heard, is that Randy's wife, Deborah, was jealous and didn't want him to have a relationship with his daughter because that would take away from their relationship. Yeah, Melinda, she stated that, uh, and now she's in her late 20s, but she said that Quote, he wasn't around, uh, or I'm sorry, he was only around until she was about two. And that seems to be when he met Deborah and then moved to Walton. And she says, I didn't see him again after that, adding that she didn't really know him at all. So all of this takes place seemingly when Randy and Deborah meet or fall in love or what have you. Now, we do already know that they went on to be married and have a long relationship. Deborah worked for years with a Delaware County social welfare agency. Later, she began working as a grocery store cashier. Randy worked for many years at the warehouse for Drogan's Home Furnishings and then for some time at Scott Machine Corporation, an engraving firm in Walton. Now, the Sunstrom's had an interesting hobby. Randy being the son of farmers, why not, right? Uh, they Sometime in the late 90s, they started growing pumpkins and they wanted to learn how to grow the biggest pumpkins that maybe anyone in the great state of New York has ever seen. Randy was the founding president of the New York State Giant Pumpkin Growers Association. And in 1999, Randy and Deborah set a goal to break the state record for the largest pumpkin. I guess in 2008, they grew a pumpkin that weighed almost 1,500 pounds. Yeah, there, there are these pumpkins, and you can't just go buy seeds at a store from what I understand. You have to get the right seeds. And the type of pumpkins they're growing are Dill's Atlantic Giant. They were trying to grow these giant pumpkins. Now, 2008, 1,500 pounds huge, right? Well, to mm -hmm. give you some perspective, nowadays, they're 2,600 pounds. So these pumpkins are wow. no joke. And they start uh, as a little potling, as I would call it, in your kitchen, mm -hmm. basically. And then they end up outside and you have to grow them a certain way. It takes a lot of care, a lot of patience. And of course, later, you need a crane basically to move these things. 
Um, they were even in a documentary from 2007 titled The Lords of the Gourd. Also in their garden, they, they tended to pumpkins, dozens of tomato plants, and other standard vegetables, as well as blueberries and grapes. They didn't hang out at bars. They didn't go to church. They farmed, and they grew big, fat, giant pumpkins. Simple life, simple story, right? Nothing out of the ordinary except for the poor, sad decision Randy made to not be a real father to a little girl. But we wouldn't be talking about this story on a show like The Garage or on a show like Generation Y if it were just that simple, would we? So in 2010, apparently Randy did his whole Houdini trick once again. Apparently leaving Deborah high and dry. Now Deborah told friends and neighbors that Randy had run off. Randy had met someone else and that new love interest got pregnant. Deborah said Randy took off to start a new life. And according to Deborah, the Sunstroms had been hiding a secret for years. The family secret is Randy was an abusive man and Deborah was forced to live in an abusive relationship for years. After Randy was gone, Deborah told friends and neighbors that they did not know the real Randy. She told a story of a late night fight when Randy came home very late one night. And because Deborah was upset with Randy for being out so late, she locked him out of the house. So Randy tried to break into the house. And this ultimately led to a physical altercation in which Randy hit Deborah and then Deborah hit Randy. Yeah, this is a story someone reported that they had heard. As best as I can tell, it seems like a deviation from the couple that everyone knew. I mean, you already talked about how they didn't go out to bars. They didn't go on road trips. They were gardeners. Gardening was their life. I mean, it went beyond a hobby. Mm -hmm. It became their life. Yeah, Deborah went on to say that her ticket out of this abusive relationship was when Randy fell for another woman and then took off. With Randy gone, Deborah continued to work and live at the couple's home. She continued gardening and walking their dog. She would often walk her dog with the next door neighbor. It became kind of routine for the two of them to talk and sometimes Deborah to share stories about Randy. Now, about a year after Randy was gone, Deborah got a job as a cashier at the Big M supermarket in Walton. The owner said that Deborah was a hard worker and was a customer favorite. She had been working at Big M supermarket for about two years, I believe, when in February of 2013, she was accused of stealing a pocketbook that a customer had left at the store. Apparently, Deborah kept the pocketbook, and when confronted about the missing pocketbook, she lied, saying she didn't know where it could be. But the store's video surveillance footage told a much different story. The pocketbook was, in fact, in Deborah's possession. The store decided the best thing to do was to press charges, and Deborah was charged with larceny. Yeah, it's a, it's a theft. And it cost her her job. And then she was charged five counts of larceny in the fourth degree. And basically, this is because she took a pocketbook and this is verified on video. And the amount uh, that she stole was in excess of a thousand dollars. 
at least the value of the pocketbook. So she's charged with this five counts, you said. And for unknown reasons, Deborah Sundstrom decides to not appear in court. She failed to appear in court. And what happens when you don't show up to court? Well, a bench warrant is issued. They're going to go and deliver the warrant and make you go to court. So the warrant was typed up, and now it's time to deliver said warrant. Law enforcers learned that Deborah was spending a lot of time at a, some have, some have called it a vacation home or second home that was owned by the Bosco family. Deborah was involved in a relationship with Dominic Bosco. So that's where law enforcement is going to go once they don't find Deborah at her home. They don't just send a couple of officers. They send the Walton police chief, Brian Louser, mm-hmm. and Delaware County Sheriff Office Senior Investigator Carl Votz Jr. Sounds like pretty pretty important law enforcement personnel showing up to serve this warrant. They're sending the brass. So this is at, at about 2 p.m. on February 19th, 2013. As you said, Aaron, we have the Walton Police Chief. We have a ranking investigator from the Sheriff's Office. They're going to serve this warrant at 294 John Lockwood Road. Deborah Sundstrom answered the door when they knocked. The officers informed her she was being arrested. Now, Deborah answered the door wearing a nightshirt. She asked if the officers could possibly wait on the stoop just outside the front door so that she could get dressed before they arrest her. Now, this is a small town, as we mentioned. One of the officers knew Deborah and apparently had known her for years. So he agrees to allow her request. So they're going to give her a moment to change out of her night clothes. Now, Deborah shuts the door and within a minute, things change drastically. I'll say they hear a couple of gunshots, which, of course, since the officers were there to serve this bench warrant uh, for failure to show up in court on these charges. Now they're going to break in through the door and investigate. And that's a uh, that's a pretty risky move. It, it's just hard to imagine. They, they knew this woman. She had a good reputation and they just never could have imagined that gunshots would have rang out from the house in this situation. Yeah. One of the officers reported hearing two gunshots within approximately one minute of Deborah closing the door. Police chief Flauser is the one who went upstairs and discovered two bodies, one of Deborah Sundstrom and the other was her beloved dog, an Australian shepherd named Shadow. Both had been shot to death with a weapon that was found very close by, a thirty thirty rifle. The other officer noticed that the house was on fire and yells to the chief to get out. Now, they managed to escape the fire, but they watched helplessly as the house burned. Apparently leaving only the wraparound deck and a fireplace chimney near the front door. Firefighters saved a detached garage. Now, Deborah must have acted very fast after the door closed. Later, police said Deborah set the house ablaze. Then she shot and killed her dog Shadow with one shot from that 30-30 rifle. And then with a second shot, she shot and killed herself. Now, once the fire was out and the smoke cleared, investigators have to go into the house and recover 
the woman's body. And this is when they get another surprise. Yeah, they, you know, they really tried to preserve this scene. They had firefighters from both Walton and Delhi coming by uh, to try and put this fire out. And they just weren't able to put it out in time. In fact, the call from the officers went out soon after that 2 p.m. time that they reported to the house. So even with quick action, you can't always save a scene. Mm. And uh, with everything burned down like that, now they have to see what they can recover. But it's it's also been said that she may have set the fire as soon as she knew that they were there, uh, even before she opened the door. Yeah, this is a situation where you really feel like she she had to believe that they would come for her at some point. And it it almost seems to me like too much has to be done in too little of amount of time that some of this had to to been put into action before they even knocked on the door. And we know that neither of the gunshots took place until after they had already spoke to her. So you have to wonder how much was already set into motion before she ends up taking her life. And when was the decision made by her that that was going to be the result should they come for her? I think we'll be able to answer that better after we cover more of the story. Of course, it's somewhat speculation, but there may be some clues as to why she did what she did. So what else in the house did they find when they were in there looking through the rubble, trying to protect this scene? They spent more than a couple of days just going through this house because it was mostly burnt down. Now they're just sifting through everything, essentially. But they ended up finding the unidentified an unidentified man in what was the basement of the home and he was situated where you could say the stair the stairs had gone down from the upper floor so they but they didn't know who this man was and because deborah at least from all uh, appearances seemed to have committed arson shot her dog and then shot herself this is really out of character at least as far as anybody knew about her so now they're wondering who's the man could it be mm-hmm. dominic bosco you know, after all, it was his family's home, or it might also be that of Randy Sundstrom because, heck, maybe she was lying that whole time. Yeah, and ultimately, it turns out to be the body of Dominic Bosco, and it's believed that she, if she in fact was the one that killed him, it's believed that he died one to three days before Deborah killed herself. It's kind of a mystery, but... On the other hand, they're just going by the last time anyone had heard from him. Mm-hmm. And they it, so it's, it involves some speculation. He did die. And then, of course, his body was in a home that burnt down. So it could be very difficult to get the answers that the investigators require. But before they even identified you know, whose body it was, they found something else interesting. Because over the course of several days, they were searching this Bosco house, but they were also starting to search Deborah's own home. And there was a, a state police investigator who used a cadaver dog to search around her home. And the dog alerted to a sealed 55-gallon drum outside of the house. And when the investigator removed the lid, he found 
the moldering remains of a body. So at that point, they had two mysterious bodies. And I think all they knew at that point, at that time, was that they were both men. That's it. Yeah, and I think this is pretty simple here, just the search itself. You know, police are going to be tasked with trying to find Randy Sundstrom, being that, I mean, technically, he and Deborah would still be legally married at this time. So they're going to be looking for him. I, I don't know what kind of hunch that the police were working with, but it doesn't take Albert Einstein to figure out, hey, we've she killed herself while in the process of us trying to serve a warrant. She kills her dog, sets a house on fire. We find an unidentified body that turns out to be that of Dominic Bosco, her, her known-to-be boyfriend at the time. It's not really a leap here for them to go out and get the proper search warrant for her home and then to bring a, con- a cadaver sniffing dog to the house with them. And like you said, the dog hits almost immediately, leading the handler to that 55-gallon drum. Molder, which is what moldering comes from, is slowly decay or disintegrate, especially because of neglect. Going off of their statement, his body may have just been folded up and placed in that barrel, basically just left there. It doesn't seem like she has applied anything to try to speed up the process or or diminish the the odor or anything like that. So he's found in a 55-gallon barrel. This is located behind the couple's garage. Now, keep in mind, he's been missing for like over 1,000 days at this time. And, and then ultimately, the body was hiding in plain sight just 25 to 30 paces from the back door of the Sundstrom's home. Yeah, a neighbor reported that he mowed the lawn right next to that drum many, many times, mm-hmm. and he had no idea. But th- see, that's the thing is no one expected anything like this to happen with Deborah. And so I think that's why they wanted to search her home because they were thinking, why would she shoot her dog and herself over this bench warrant? Because mm-hmm. sure, you have law enforcement visiting your home to arrest you, but it wasn't as if they were going to arrest her for a murder. This was for the theft of a pocketbook for a wallet. So it just didn't make sense. So that's when their inner sense says there's something else going on here. Yeah, and Deborah Sundstrom is really the only suspect in her husband's death. And the thing here, too, is we have Deborah who she she got away with murder for like three years. And this is basically just because no one reported Randy as missing. His parents had passed away by this point, and he was not in contact with his two siblings, both of whom lived lived out of state. His few close friends believed Deborah's story about him leaving her. And one of his friends is on record saying, look, I just thought maybe he was embarrassed about taking off and that he would eventually reach out to me at some point, but he never did. And then it's only in hindsight that his friend is saying, wow, that much time passed and he never reached out to me. I should have I should have thought that something was wrong here. 
Yeah, should have. But I think we need to give more credit to the fact that Deborah had won people over and, and not for any kind of devious reasons or anything. It's just oh, they were together for 20 years. And over that time, people got to know her and they really liked her. She was very personable. And so why wouldn't she be telling the truth? But, you know, I'll often say when someone goes missing and the only other person that may have known what had happened is saying, oh, yeah, they just ran off. But then that person never contacts anyone else, anyone else. I find it really, really questionable. But then again, Deborah was personable and people liked her. And we know he'd already left his own daughter behind before. So why not his wife? Yeah, I think that probably would have added a lot of validation to any skeptics out there that she was, that Deborah was in fact telling the truth, that he had done this before. And I would imagine the people closest to him, the ones that would be concerned of his whereabouts, would be aware of this story. So it's not like it's not like this isn't something that he would not be capable of because he in fact did the very same thing just at a much younger age. Now you said that she got away with murder for three years. Dr. James Turgeon, the pathologist conducted the autopsies on then the two unidentified bodies. He identified them. We already talked about that, but for Dominic Bosco, he said he couldn't figure out his manner or cause of death. So both were listed as undetermined. So Dominic Bosco, he is listed as cause of death, undetermined, manner of death, be it homicide, accident, natural causes, undetermined. Undetermined. And then that, I guess you could say, when we get to Randy Sundstrom, the manner of death was homicide. But the cause was undetermined. Now, to me, this is interesting because he's saying he believes that Randy was as a result of a homicide. I don't know if that's because of the the drum that he was found in, but we don't really have any real clues as to how he was killed. What what I've seen from several of the cases that we've covered is is this exact situation where the concealment of the body is leading him to to the determination of a homicide where Dominic Bosco you could make an argument that where he was found at the what would have been the foot of the stairs to the basement could have possibly he could have fallen he could have heart attack uh, and just fell there the placement of that body is is such a manner where it could have just he could have just died where he fell where we know in Randy's situation the, the the probability of him being in that barrel when he died of natural causes is so incredibly mathematically damn near impossible that that is where we're getting the determination of of homicide as well it'd be i would be curious to see what else was in the barrel with him or if there was even more evidence to push the pathologist to that determination yes and i know that uh before we recorded we actually had a discussion about would there be any follow-up and i know that these pathologists are kind of stretched thin to begin with 
And if, I guess for the sake of argument, if Deborah was responsible for these deaths, then with her death, who are you going to prosecute? I mean, why spend the money or the time? Why do the follow-up if you really can't take this case anywhere? Think about it this way. No one called on behalf of Randy the whole time he was missing. No one. Not one person called any law enforcement uh, department to say, Randy Sundstrom is missing and I want to file a report about it. No one did that. So obviously there's probably not a lot of uh, voices ringing out saying, do something about this, figure out how he died. Now, as far as Dominic Bosco, his parents, they didn't really want to talk about Deborah, and I'm not sure why, but it could be that they just didn't see this coming. And I think maybe they're lost for words. Well, his family, I believe they were out of, they were out of towners and that was kind of their like second home or retreat type of home where he was, he had been staying. Apparently he was really into the outdoors and, and enjoyed staying in this. I saw one description where they called it a cabin, but, um, I don't know that I would call it a cabin, but that's where we have this difficult situation. So we, we, we have what we see to be technically unsolved, at least one unsolved homicide as far as the ruling goes. But are these in fact closed cases where they believe everything points to Deborah as being the murderer of both Dominic and Randy. She's no longer with us, died by her own hand in that manner. Are these cases no longer open and closed, but technically still unsolved? The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age 
or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I 
am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Well, it's one thing to know who committed the murders. And I think the police know, at least in their own minds, that Deborah Sundstrom is the one who killed both Dominic Bosco and Randy Sundstrom. But I'm not sure it's that simple. There might actually be reasons for why these murders were committed and why Deborah took her own life. Well, let's get into that. And, and do, what is your speculation as far as cause of death for? Dominic and or Randy. I honestly, you know, thinking about it, I couldn't come up with anything. Uh, The only thing that I could say is we might have to entertain many more possibilities, given the fact that she was able to take her pretty burly husband, Randy, and get him into a barrel, into this drum, because that sounds like no easy feat. He was kind of a big dude. I know people have said she was very strong. But that's a that's a determined woman right there to get this big guy into a drum. So I think the sky's the limit. Now, obviously, they didn't find anything obvious, but there could be many things here that could have been the cause of death. And I just can't really think other than to say, I think we would have to include a lot of possibilities. Well, we know it wasn't, or at least the pathologist does not believe that gun that a gun was involved in either of their deaths because they found no bullets just going off of playing the numbers i feel like poison a poisoning is probably a good consideration in maybe both of these cases and if that if that is the case then we're talking about something very premeditated especially if it was done twice but also fast acting because Randy's, you know, they always try to narrow down the time frame of when someone died. Uh, in Randy's case, as far as they can tell, he died about the time he disappeared. And we know from uh, Dominic's death that he appeared to have died one to three days prior. So that might also be a clue as to why he was killed. But if it was a poison, it would have to be fast acting, I would think. Well, and because the house burnt down, the the pathologist is playing at a huge disadvantage trying to figure out the cause and manner of death for Dominic. And really, that that determination of him being dead one to three days is is, as you said, based off of when was he last seen. I believe a lot of it to be from his work, what they could track through his work records. 
for that week or for that time period just shortly before his death. Yeah, the other interesting thing, and, and we didn't talk about this yet, but about close to two weeks before Dominic's death, or at least the time we believe he died, she had informed his family that he lost his phone. So if they needed to get a hold of him, they should call her. But he had a relative, I believe his brother, after he heard about the house being on fire, he started calling both his brother and Deborah and couldn't get a hold of either one. But then he wasn't sure because she had told him that he didn't have his phone anymore. So he could sort of understand why his brother didn't answer the phone. But then Deborah wasn't answering hers either. This is a very weird thing to me. Because then you have to wonder if we are dealing with a poisoning or any form of premeditated murder from Deborah killing Dominic. Was this planned before this phone call is made to her to his relative explaining away the phone and why you would not be able to reach him by phone? Right. And that's what I wondered. Was he still going to work? What was going on with them? Because if she was planning this weeks out, which we could understand because that was about the time she had been served. She had been charged with these offenses. But to me, I think she was already planning his death, if not already had him in an incapacitated state or something, because that's some real control there. Oh, yeah. Don't call him because you won't get a hold of him. His phone's gone. So if she did kill both of them, why? What are the 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 theories on on why because that's really what we're left with i personally i feel there there are other answers there are other questions that need to be answered but all all arrows seem to point to deborah in both of these cases now somebody else could be involved maybe there are other players here that we are unaware of but what is the motivator why did she do it? Why would she kill Randy? Why would she kill Dominic? And there's there's also thought that it doesn't have to be for the same reason. And it seems very strange that this stealing of a pocketbook, because that seems to be what, what, what started this domino effect. That's the only thing that jumps off the page, but that just doesn't, it doesn't ring true. It doesn't make sense. I think it does in a way because the only thing that's weird about it is why did she take the pocketbook? Was it just an opportunity where she didn't think she would be caught? Did she not know about the cameras? But yes, this is what invited law enforcement into her life. We already accept that she likely killed Randy, but no one followed up on that. So she got away with that, as you said. But why kill Dominic? I think there's more of a complicated story here, really. When they started asking her friends and neighbors and family, what were they like? What was this couple like? And meaning Randy and Deborah. Well, a lot of people said they were the perfect couple. They did everything together. They were in love. They spent all their time together. They lived for gardening. But while that's true, other people started saying, well, she told me that she had been abused by Randy. And then they would recount these stories like the one you gave about Randy trying to break into the home and then being mad that she had locked him out and then him hitting her. But 
In the end, a lot of people just said, well, that's what she told me. They didn't have any firsthand accounts until they talked to their neighbor, which was Al Boudin. And hopefully I'm saying his name right, but Al Boudin is the one that was mowing the lawn right next to the drum for all that time. Mm -hmm. And he said that there were two separate incidents where Deborah ran over to his home, having been beaten by Randy, and she was trying to find refuge. She was trying to get away, to be safe for a little while until things calmed down. And he went on to say that there was even a report to the police about this after one of those incidents. So in his mind, the police should have known about this. But see, who called the police? Because when the police were discussing this case, they didn't think domestic violence was a part of this case at all. Right. They, they thought it was unrelated. Now, between you, me, and our great audience, I would say there's a real possibility that domestic violence was involved. How well did anyone know Randy? I mean, what would be her motive to kill him after 20 years where it seemed like they were only getting closer? Now, we know he didn't run off and he didn't have a pregnant girlfriend. We know that's not true. Mm -hmm. But why did she murder him? There's a real possibility that she murdered him because he was beating her. I mean, are we going to discount Al's story? I mean, unless he was in on it, I, I find his story pretty compelling. I do, too. I do as well. I reading a couple different versions of that same story. I, I, I wish that I was able to ask Al exactly what he saw and what he was told, because that's really his, that's where his story is different than everybody else's. If we are to go by that statement of she appeared to have been beaten when she arrived at his home asking for help, that's much different than all these other stories where it's just it's just Deborah relaying something that she says happened, relaying actions of Randy's that she says he did. So yes, it's a very different story in that sense. I would love to I would love to see if he could look me in the eye and say, Yes, that's I that's what I saw. Not that not that she was running from the house saying and telling him he's he's going to beat me. The way that his statement comes off in that in the one article makes it sound like the damage had already been done. She had already been harmed by Randy before she went to Al for help. Yes, he used the phrase beaten to hell. And so we could have a situation where and that's what's so weird to me about you know, domestic violence. It, Violence isn't supposed to make sense, so I don't know why I'm trying to make sense out of it. But the the pictures that I saw of Deborah and Randy and the the lifestyle that they were were living and the way that everybody spoke about them just makes the domestic violence so weird to me. It doesn't seem it's like it doesn't fit. But again, if it was there, then maybe it was the quote-unquote, family secret. And that's how it works sometimes. I know I've had uh, many people write into Generation Y and say, no one knew about the abuse that was happening to me. And in some cases, they felt afraid to say anything because they just knew that no one would believe them because the other person was so well-liked. And in this case, 
it worked that way for both of them. If it was true that he was beating his wife, then who would have believed it? And then he didn't really run away, but that's what Deborah said, and everyone bought it. It's all about perception, I guess, and what you think you know. In the killing of Randy, do you believe that she acted alone? It sounds like you have some suspicions of uh, because of how the body was found. Um, once again, we're relying on Al. Al believes that she was more than capable of getting her husband into that drum. Yeah, he said I think- that she, she would outwork any man, is mm-hmm. the way he described her. Yeah, I don't know what it would take. In, in, but also, Randy is not described as being a small man. No, both of the men in her life, uh, both Randy and Dominic, or Nick as people knew him, they're both known to be pretty burly guys. Uh, and especially Dominic, he was described as a guy who could take care of himself. And so people said he must have been ambushed. They just didn't see how she would have been able to harm him if he saw her coming. But I, I think uh, when it comes down to it, for me, um, I, I lean toward the domestic violence as being a real factor here. Um, that's barring any other strange or unexpected change in the relationship, of course. But to me, I could understand that being a part of this. And then why would she kill Dominic? Well, she decided to take that pocketbook for some reason. I, that's actually the biggest mystery to me. I'm not sure why she did that, but I think she started to panic and she'd already murdered one man. And I think for her, she was hoping to ride this out. So she murdered her other man. And with the, you know, the police chief and this investigator coming to her home, well, to what was her boyfriend's home, I think she started to feel put into a corner where she couldn't get out. And she was, I guess, more afraid of what would happen to her than worried about what it would be like to take her own life. I think part of my, my theory there rests upon her killing her dog because apparently she really liked Shadow. He was an Australian shepherd, which I don't know a lot about dogs, but from people I've talked with, they love this breed. And I think it was a situation where she didn't want to leave her dog behind. I could see that. And actually, the thing here that I I think always kind of threw me off on developing a good theory was the situation of the house being burnt down. And but now I'm I'm almost wondering if if she was in the process of doing that, whether the authorities were going to show up anyway. And did she kill Dominic plan on burning the house to the ground? Look, we know that it, we know that it already concealed his cause of death. So if, if she was planning to burn the house down to, to conceal his cause of death, who's to say she would have got charged with anything in Dominic's murder or death. And, where was she going to go? You know, I wonder, I wonder if a lot of that stuff was already in motion, at least planned out in her mind. And she happened to be, it just happened to be that they knocked on the door 
before she left that day, before she lit the match and tossed it and, and was able to drive off. Right. It's a real question. Your theory makes total sense, but it's also the kind of theory that could throw into question my theory. So I don't like it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, it's a what, great theory. Um, and it, what, but what it would do is you would say, maybe she had a different motive than what I was thinking, because if she was just trying to protect herself and she snapped and killed her husband because she was tired of the abuse, and then she ended up killing her boyfriend because she made a mistake and she was scared of what was going to happen. Well, that doesn't quite make as much sense if what you say is possible and she was already planning to burn the house and then leave. And then she could say, oh, well, I don't know what happened. Right. Because as we know, the chances of proving that she did anything wrong kind of get a little sketchy. So you could have an arson investigator go in there and prove it was arson, but maybe it's a 50-50 chance. But if they go into the home and find a dead man at the bottom of the stairs, well, at that point, she's looking at prison time. Well, and I also like the thought that you put into about her shooting her dog, because I think that that is, could be some indicator of her motivation in some of this. And, and I, this is going down a different road than the theory I already presented, but this was one that struck me when looking into this case, just the simple amount of well, not the simple amount, the overwhelming amount of of control on her behalf in this whole situation. Not only is Randy dead, but he's concealed. Not only is Dominic dead, the house was burnt down. And she loved her dog. She could have let the dog out the back door or let the dog run free instead of shooting the dog and then shooting herself. And then the amount of of control that you add to it with her shooting herself. This is going to end the way I want it to, or the way that in, at least in a way that I can control the outcome. And some people have speculated that Randy was not involved with his biological daughter because maybe Deborah would not allow him to do so. And I wonder if we could have a situation here where did Randy decide that he was going to leave Deborah for any reason? Maybe they were fighting. Maybe, maybe it wasn't just one-sided abuse. Maybe there was abuse by both individuals. We even have the one story that Deborah recounted saying that he hit me and I hit him back. Maybe Randy wanted to see his daughter or maybe create some type of relationship there and Deborah wasn't going to have it or Deborah was not going to put up with Randy leaving her. The Dominic thing I think is more confusing to me about what the motive is. And that's just simply because we don't know for certain what the motivation would have been to kill Randy, but there's, there's different things to look at and examine there. There's different thoughts and speculation that you can apply to that murder with Dominic's situation you're really only left with a couple of things that make sense. And that's either was this in some weird, super bizarre way of covering up the whole pocketbook incident? Was, that that just doesn't seem right. 
But then you could easily make the leap to going, well, could Dominic somehow have figured out what happened to Randy? And that might be motivation enough for her to act. But I keep going back to this whole thing of if she did, in fact, kill both those men, she killed the dog, she set the house on fire, she took her own life. There's just so much overwhelming, an overwhelming amount of control on on her behalf. And that may be the only truth we know of this case is we know from all of the evidence, the one thing that you can tie it all together with is control. It's a case that, that, that opens itself up to more speculation than than information to provide. But those kinds of cases are interesting because Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, it's like I was talking with someone today about zombie movies, the best ones, the zombies are characters in the film, but they're not really the drive of the film. There are these other storylines running that really grab your interest. And so with cases like this, it's not that someone was killed in a spectacular way. Heck, we don't even know how they were killed but it's the motive. It's the why. And so we're mm-hmm. trying to figure out why did Deborah, who seemingly seemingly had a great life, had a great husband. Why did she start to kill? And why did she ultimately decide to kill herself? So to me, it makes for a very interesting conversation. And for anyone listening, now they can start to talk with their friends who listen and try to figure out what they think happened. Well, and I think what adds a lot to this mystery too, is it does not seem that I don't want to paint the picture of Deborah and Randy being shut-ins. They were certainly outgoing people. I mean, he was the founding president of that pumpkin society or whatever it was. And they, they participated in a lot of County fairs and I imagine state fairs as well. So they were certainly outgoing in in that aspect, but they don't seem to have a lot of close knit relationships with, with a lot of people. It seems like their circle of friends was, was quite small. And we see that that not only added to Randy's disappearance, not being such a mystery or of concern, but it also, I think, leaves a lot of blanks and a lot of gaps that we're kind of left wondering about of what could have been actually going on in that relationship. Because you also have the thought of it's a two-sided coin where you say, well, the allegations of abuse put forward by Deborah only come out after Randy is no longer around to defend himself. But the flip side of that coin is if she was an abused woman, she wouldn't have felt safe telling people about what was really going on. Well, she did tell her neighbor, but as far as we can tell, he was the one out of everyone that seemed to have gotten the closest to them because he was right next door. They were always out gardening. He was out gardening. They spent a lot of time outside together. Was Al the, the gentleman that called himself their, their pumpkin mentor or was that a different friend? Because he had somebody that like taught him the the secrets of growing these giant fat pup pumpkins. No, it was uh, Bill Bobier, I think his name was. He was the one that was their pumpkin mentor. <laughs> and so he was the other one. So their two closest friends were Al Boudin and Bill Bobier. Well, and in one situation that we can talk about of somebody doing the right thing. In, in an ironic twist, Randy's daughter, Mindy Lackey, 
says law enforcement told her she was the legal next of kin. So she had the responsibility to take care of her father, Randy's body. Now, initially, Mindy said it really threw her for a loop. She didn't know what to do. She says, quote, I could have said he wasn't there for the 23 years of my life. So why should I be there for him? But adds, that's just not who I am. I have a bigger heart than that. So she did the right thing. Mindy organized a proper send-off for the stranger who was her father. This included a proper military burial at Sullivan County Veterans Cemetery. And I like that because so often in life we can just say, well, no one cared about me. But, you know, nothing ever gets better. Nothing ever gets set right if someone doesn't sacrifice their own time or set aside their own feelings. I mean, life's not fair. My mom has always told me that. So it's nice to see when someone can say, yeah, my dad, he didn't care about me. He was never there for me. But I'm the only one left to try and handle his affairs to help put him to rest. And she did that. So, wow. I mean, all respect to Mindy. Yeah, they often say that the harder thing to do and the right thing to do are the same. And that's the situation here. She didn't have to give up her time or maybe even some of her own money or regardless, but her efforts. She didn't need to make that effort for a guy that made little to no effort on her behalf for so many years. But like you said, it's you do the right thing, break the cycle. She knows what it feels like more than anybody else to not be feel not to feel wanted. And I think that she was wise enough and, and had a big enough heart to say, you know what, I'm going to do what I think is right here. And I'm going to take care of this man in death, even though he wasn't there for me. And, you know, Dominic Bosco, he was laid to rest by his family and they talked about him and about how they wanted him to re- be remembered rather than this almost forgotten victim of Deborah's. Uh, you know, in, in their minds, he was a hard worker. He was an honest guy. He was not afraid to tell the truth, no matter what. They said he would stand up to anything. He would face anything. And they said they were going to miss him. Yeah, and he's the only one out of the three that is accused of nothing. And like you said, hard worker, and he may have just simply crossed paths with the wrong woman at the wrong stage of in her life. You know, I, I, I've been wondering if things were really coming in on her, the walls were closing in. I wonder if she had said something. Maybe they got into an argument. But what if she said to him, yeah, keep talking. You'll end up like Randy. Right. And then he said, oh, yeah. What happened to Randy? And then she thought, damn. Mm-hmm. He was found at the bottom of the stairs. And like you said, it's difficult to figure out what happened to him. But given everything that occurred and everything that we know, it's not a stretch to say that the stairway had something to do with his death, whether he was poisoned or pushed or hit in the head or something. Something happened to him that was probably foul play. And unfortunately, with all the key players involved, all now deceased, we may never know what really happened. There's also the possibility that they're 
things about this case that we haven't thought of. Well, this is one that's going to keep me up tonight. Absolutely, because to me, domestic violence is something that is often behind closed doors. We don't know about it, but the people who are suffering, they have to live with it. They have to suffer through it. And if this was the case with Deborah, we have no idea how domestic violence may have shaped her future. Yes. And real quick before we wrap up here tonight, Aaron, I do want to mention. So this episode of True Crime Garage will come out just before Independence Day. And shortly after Independence Day, we will have the our better halves, if you <laughs> if you will, or our equal halves. I don't know what we should call them. But uh, Justin and the captain will be doing an episode on Generation Y on the Generation Y podcast. Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, when we had paired up before, we had talked about switching hosts again. But then in the end, it turned out that all we did was we decided to keep the same host together for the swap, but then release the episodes on the other podcast. So yeah. we're recording together again, but this time our recording will be on True Crime Garage. And then the captain and Justin, their episode will be on Generation Y. Well, and it's a really fun friendship and relationship that the four of us have developed over the years. And it was great seeing you and Justin at CrimeCon. And it was great that somebody was brilliant enough to put our two tables in close proximity to one another, because we do have so many people. We share a lot of listeners and um, you guys do a fantastic show. And it's, it's been, been a lot of fun talking these cases over with you. Oh, absolutely. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thanks for coming and joining me in the garage tonight, Aaron. You have a fantastic evening. Yeah, have a great evening, Nick. Thank you to Aaron from the Generation Y podcast for joining me via satellite for this week's show. And make sure you check out the Generation Y podcast this weekend because our good friend, the captain, joins Justin for a fantastic conversation. Check that out. And thank you to all of you out there for listening and telling a friend. Until next time, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 